0: Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of Football Insiders podcast show, The Inside Track. I'm your host, Lewis Piers, and with me today, I'm joined by former England and Tottenham goalkeeper, Paul Robinson, and our transfers expert, the Scoop King, Pete O'Rourke. During the show, you'll also hear from our special guest, the former Everton and Aston Villa CEO, Keith Winus. In today's show, we have exclusive news about the financial breaches of both Everton and Nottingham Forest. We'll be discussing what this could mean for the integrity of the Premier League, how this will affect both clubs, and you'll be hearing Keith's insight from Everton's perspective as they now contest the two separate charges. Additionally, we'll also be discussing Newcastle's dip in form on what this could mean for the future of Eddie Howe, with Jose Mourinho linked and potential signings this window. The latest on Tottenham's January transfer window targets, including a huge Conor Gallagher and Calvin Phillips update. And to wrap up, David Moyes' future at West Ham United as no contract extension has been announced and their aims for the season. Before we jump in, I'd really appreciate it if you hit that follow button on your preferred podcast platform and if you like what you hear, make sure to give our pod a top review and rating. This enables us to produce the very best possible show. Let's get straight into the episode. Okay, Pete, to start with, we've got to talk, of course, about Everton and Nottingham Forest. For those that may have missed the news, can you please tell us about the latest news with their FFP breaches?
1: Yeah, obviously real difficult times for Everton and Nottingham Forest being charged with breaching these uh, PSR rules and FFP rules, um, looking like both clubs are facing more points deductions. Everton already hit with a 10-point deduction in November, which they are obviously appealing, but... um, from our story earlier in the week, uh, it does look like uh, both clubs are facing uh, a minimum of six points deduction as well this season, and that's going to plunge them right into this relegation dogfight. But obviously, both, both clubs have admitted their wrongdoing in breaching uh, the rules, so it does look inevitable that they will get punished with a points deduction as well. And uh, for Everton, this on top of the other ten point deductions, a real blow to them. And it's, we've got to feel sorry for them. I think they're being charged twice for the same offence almost, and. Uh, it means all the hard work that Sean Dyche is doing is being undermined with uh, the club probably facing dropping back into that bottom three. And it's, it's a real kick in the teeth, I think, for Everton and for Nottingham Forest. But on the flip side of that, it's a real boost for the likes of uh, Luton, Sheffield United and Burnley that maybe they could get themselves out of trouble as well. But obviously, the most uh, the three words that we're all talking about right now is profitability and sustainability rules. And that's what all the clubs are worried about. And that's why I think we've had a slow January transfer market so far.
0: And Paul, we, we discussed last time the first breach that Everton had been facing and how that might have affected the squad. With this news breaking on Monday, how do you think that would have, how, how do you think the, the reaction would have, what do you think the reaction would have been in the dressing room? How would the players have reacted and Sean Dyche as well?
2: There's nothing they can do. And I mean, he's, he's the perfect man, he's the perfect manager in charge, as we've seen, to, to galvanise a group. It is a real us against them mentality. Said it numerous times before, having worked with Sean, knowing what he's like, that dressing room door will be closed. It will be a we control what we can control which is what we do, our performances on the pitch. Whatever they're given, whatever they're thrown at them, I think it will just galvanise them to perform in a better way on the pitch. I mean, you look at where they are, you give them the 10 points back now, they'd be halfway up the league table. Um, you know, the the, the the football side of things, I'd behalf be half tempted to say that even if they got under the six taken off them, that they could still stay up because of how poor the bottom of the Premier League is. We said at the start of the Premier League season, I looked at the league and I said, this is going to be the weakest bottom half of the Premier League that there's probably ever been. And we've been proved right with the bottom three teams there. It could be a fantastic year to be a Luton or a Sheffield United or a Burnley fan if these these points deductions are, are taken. And Listen, I know we're going to go into it in a, in a heavy way uh, today, but Pete, I just wanted to pick up on something you said there about Everton and Forest. They've admitted it. So we're going to talk about Manchester City and Chelsea, who City have got all these charges. City seem to be kicking the can down the road with the lawyers by saying that they'd like to con- contest these charges. If Everton and Forest did the same, could they elongate this process into next season? Or are they, are they doing the right thing by saying, OK, we, 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 we're guilty, type thing?
1: Well, my opinion, Paul. I think they've held their hands up. They've got their accounts wrong over this three-year cycle, which they all know about. All the Premier League clubs signed up to it that you can't spend uh, overspend by 105 million in that three-year cycle. Obviously, Everton and Forest have done that. There's obviously been other circumstances. Everton will point to the building of their new stadium, which is why they're paying interest charges. Not in and why maybe their finances aren't in order for Nottingham Forest. We all saw this coming probably from the last summer transfer window when they brought in so many players. Uh, I think they brought in over 30 players in the last two transfer windows. But again, they will point to the fact that that squad needed strengthening if they were to survive in the Premier League. That was their goal last season and they achieved it. They ended up staying up uh, under Steve Cooper at the time as well. But lots of players come in, big fees, big wages as well. And I think that's why Forrest have held their hands up, knowing that they were going to face this charge at some point as well. But as you said, Manchester City... Slightly different case, I suppose, Um, more complex, and that's why we still haven't had any uh, sort of verdict on what's going to happen with them. Obviously, Richard Masters this week confirmed that date has now been set for those uh, hearings into those 115 charges for Manchester City, which is staggering, really, when you think about it. The Everton and Forest have been hit with one charge. Manchester City are sort of contesting 115. Obviously, they're saying uh, they've done nothing wrong and they have denied all the charges and will fight them legally like they did... Uh, with UEFA with their cha- charges in Europe and they obviously got off of that one as well but yeah, it's complex I think the Manchester City case compared to Everton and Force, who have both
0: held up their hands
1: and it looks like they're going to take the punishment
0: and uh, see what they can do. Pete, given how long the first case has rolled on for Everton, now this second case has come up, how long do you think this Manchester City case is going to go on for? Of course, Richard Masters, as we've discussed, did announce that there is a date. No one knows when, though. This could take months, if not years, potentially, do you think? Because there is so much. to g- 115 breaches. You know, we're not talking about one. You think of the length of time it took to talk about Everton or Forest. It's, it's going to be a really long time, you'd assume.
1: Yeah, the lawyers are going to earn their money, no doubts about that, I think, uh, with Manchester City having uh, the best around, but nothing's going to happen imminently on this one. Obviously, Manchester City are contesting the charges and they will fight them, uh, really, but it's not looking like, from what I'm hearing, 2025 is probably the earliest date we might have a verdict on this one. So the hearing, I believe, could be heard later this year, and then obviously we might get a verdict in 2025. But for all those other fans, um, looking at Manchester City, just sort of leaves a bad taste in the mouth at City despite all these charges undoubtedly a brilliant team um, and but winning all these trophies with all these charges hanging over them it does uh, sort of put a bit of a cloud over it for Pep Guardiola's star-studded side and everything else and I think for the good of the Premier League and the integrity of the Premier League these charges need to be sort of looked into soon and then we get a verdict and everybody can move on because while there's no verdict you got to feel sorry for the likes of Everton and Nottingham Forest and also, we're going to have to put Chelsea into that agenda as well because they've held their hands up and said there's been a few irregularities from during the Roman Abramovic era when the Todd Bowley uh, consortium went in there. They said the books weren't right at Chelsea as well and they're probably going to face some charges uh, sooner rather than later as well. So a lot of clubs, um, we all know, maybe uh, have uh, skirted ground, a number of uh, issues on finances. So it looks like the Premier
0: League are finally showing their teeth. They've definitely shown their teeth to Everton and Nottingham Forest this week. And in both of your views, please, Paul, we'll start with you. What do you think this does to the reputation of the league? I mean, very regularly in this podcast, we've all said the Premier League is the greatest league in the world. But these sort of cases, both of Everton's, Nottingham Forest, Man City, potentially Chelsea, does that put it in jeopardy?
2: Listen, we'll we'll start with saying we have the best product in the world. The Premier League is the best product on a football field globally. I mean, everybody wants to watch the Premier League. The the product is, you know, it's, it's there for all to see the quality the finances, everything else that surround the Premier League. It is the best and it's the best by far. But I think to, to sum this up, I think the Premier League are doing a very, very good job of showing why they need this independent adjudicator or the, you know, the, um, the, the regulator, the regulator. sorry. Um, so I think that a lot of this, they they've brought Everton to task. They brought Forest to task very quickly under the new laws, new stipulations they brought them to task very quickly. Uh, the punishment for Everton was was brought to the table um, quicker than it, it would have done, than it would have normally done. And then the the, the Dunfermline and Everton again, and hopefully that it will be dealt with in the same way. But for me, they're doing a perfect job of showing why they do need a regulator by trying to implement these rules themselves. Um, the way that the Manchester City thing, the cans getting kicked down the road. But the biggest thing for me in all this, Lewis, it's the fans that get punished. Once again, it's the fans, it's not the football clubs that have been punished. Yes, they are indirectly um, with, with the points deduction, but it's the fans who turn up week in and week out are the ones that are getting punished. Um how do you how do you punish teams? Is a is a is a good question. Is points deduction a fair way of doing it? Probably is at the start of a season, you know, not halfway through a season. At the start of a season, I think it's there's there's an argument for that. Do you find a club that's already in breach of financial regularities that probably hasn't got any money? Um, you know, to sustain the, the, the level that they need to be at. It's a very difficult one. What, what's the right punishment? But I just think from a fan's point of view that a points deduction mid-season is is unacceptable, in my opinion. I think it has to be done and it has to be done at the end for the start of,
0: of the next season. And Pete, what's your take on it generally? What How do you think this is going to affect the game going forwards?
1: Yeah, it obviously uh, doesn't paint the Premier League in the best picture. Like Paul says, it's the best league in the world. It's uh, global so many fans watch it around the world so they'll just come to watch the players in action rather than worrying about the finances off the field but I think for the clubs obviously there's a, a bit of a divide I think maybe growing between clubs we've seen so many regulations maybe not being processed with clubs voting against uh, new rules the Premier League are looking to introduce for me Paul what do you think obviously do you think FFP is a bit outdated now it needs to be maybe a new threshold to come up because the 105 million over three years doesn't seem a lot when you look at the transfer market in the last couple of windows you've got players moving for 100 million pounds do you think that needs to change maybe for these clubs who obviously have money to spend but can't spend it look at Newcastle for example
2: well we're all learning daily aren't we there's there's new things coming out daily with regards to the the FFP and the regulations and if if I'm right what I'm led to believe is that the regulations that Everton and Forrest are being charged with they don't deem fit for purpose further down the line these rules are getting changed so the, yep. the the regulations that they have hit forest and everton with now the rules are going to be changed and brought in line with uefa's rules whether that be next year or whenever that is but the premier league are going to draw in line with uefa's rules so whatever and a nottingham forest have been charged with it's it's going to be a different stipulation you know do because they don't see it fit but as far as the 105 million goes i mean you look at like you say a, dif- a, de- a decent number 6 is a defensive <laughs> midfielder is 105 million now you look at chelsea's two holding midfielders i mean there's over 200 million pounds In two players so that the 105 is is a mark that you have to bring into line with the rest of the premier league and with spending you know we look at the bigger clubs but then does that give the bigger clubs license to get bigger and the 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 rich get rich the poor get poorer type thing because if you are going to move that and you look at the wealth you look at the likes of the the saudi investment into newcastle you know that that financial stipulation it there has to be a line somewhere but i think like Like everything in life with inflation and everything else, I think it has to grow with the times. I completely agree with you.
0: And Pete, you know, you touched on right at the beginning in terms of the January transfer window, probably the summer as well, to be honest, about actually that there has been less spending in this window. This seems like it's been one of the quieter windows in recent years. Is that a worry in terms of our clubs looking at this going, actually, we don't want to spend? Do you think that's the main reason why there haven't been so many deals completed?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think uh, all these Premier League clubs are running scared of FFP and PSR right now. They've seen what's happened to Everton in November with the 10-point deduction. They've now seen what's happened to Everton again and now of them for. So clubs have to get uh, their books right, balance the books, and uh, they don't want to be facing points deductions because that could put clubs in major trouble, relegation fights and everything else. It would be a huge blow for Everton to suffer relegation this season, especially when they're planning to move to the new stadium as well. Obviously, all these clubs, when they do uh, reach the Premier League, they want to stay there. And that's why Nottingham Forest have probably overspent their means in the last couple of transfer windows to try and ensure they stay up. So it's a double-edged sword, really. You want to be competitive. You want to try and do your best as well. But you've got to stay within those uh, financial thresholds. And that's why it's difficult uh, not to get carried away like Nottingham Forest did uh, in the last two transfer windows. And now... It looks like they're going to be punished with at least a six-point deduction, which will really put them right back in that relegation dogfight. So I think for a lot of clubs in this January transfer window, there's no real value for money to go out there and spend big because if you do end up getting relegated, you've got players on big wages you've paid big fees for. And that's why I think even the clubs that are battling relegation, the likes of Luton, Burnley, Sheffield United, they haven't gone out and spent big uh, in this window so far because they don't want to have players uh, on big wages uh, next season in the Championship as well. So why should they go out and spend and put themselves in trouble?
2: There's some really grey areas with this, though, isn't it? I mean, you, you look at this. I mean, it, it's not clear. That, I mean, the laws are clear, the the, the financial regulation of the £105 million, But half of Forest time was obviously in the Championship. They've been promoted in that three-year period. Forrest were in the Championship. So how does that sit and where does that sit? If there's an appeal for Everton, they're likely to get some points back from their first case that they've had. The second case we're hearing is going to be, there's going to be a a ruling by the 24th of May. And I mean, according to my calculations, that's five days after the season finishes. So the season finishes, everybody goes on holiday, thinks you're safe in the Premier League. Oh, by the way, lads, just to let you know, you're relegated now. I mean, there's (laughs) so many, it's a mess. It really is a mess. How can you have a ruling five days after a season finishes? When we all know what the last four or five weeks of the season are like with the relegation battles, the fight for European places, etc. And then Forrest and Everton are going to have this hanging over them and they're not going to know their fate until five days after the season. And Everton may get some points back halfway through a relegation battle towards the end of the season. I mean, there's just no clarity with any of it, in my opinion.
0: It's quite comical, isn't it? Going, going. We'll give you the three points back, but then we're going to take six points back off you. But then we might, you know, it's like it just turns into a bit of a circus, really. And we'll, we'll it,
2: ring next week when you're in Marbella and let you know if you're still in the league or yeah. I mean,
1: not. Yeah. And you're on championship yeah. wages next lead, uh, season, lads, yeah. uh, if you do get yeah. relegated. So. Don't,
2: don't go out to like you're
1: in the championship, by the way.
2: All
0: the strings a bit tighter. <laughs> Paul, would there be would there be concern as well? You know, if you're a player, say from the outside, let's say you, you you're a player in the Liga, you get a call from a club who might be in sort of a bit of hot water in terms of of this going on. Would that put you off moving to the Premier League with everything going on? Does this would this turn players away, or do you think that wouldn't be a problem? No,
2: from a player's point of view, players don't look at this. You know, players you, you concentrate on. On yourself on, on the playing side of things the premier league and we've said it a million times is a global attraction most players if not every single player at some point in their career wants to play in our wonderful league the the finances off the field will not affect any player's decision to come and play in the premier league that's for sure because if the finance is off the field that's somebody else's job look there's there's people in places at clubs the ceos there's financial directors there's managing directors. There's, there should have been these places, people in place at Forest and Everton. There has, but there's obviously been overlooked, or there's been a, whatever's happened. There's people in place to take care of this off the field. A player wants to play in the Premier League. He wants to know he's going to get paid at the end of the month. Listen, if he's not getting paid at the end of the month, then there's a problem. If he's getting paid far too much and clubs are getting in trouble for paying too much, count me in. I'm coming.
0: and pete to kind of slowly wrap up do you think these ffp breaches are going to change the strategies for the likes of everton and forest in terms of this window you know they're effectively looking now for short-term success rather than long-term stability isn't that a bit of a concern really that as paul mentioned the fact that we don't even know what this outcome is going to be post premier league season i mean it really is it's so bizarre
1: yeah, massively bizarre. I don't think it's changed Everton's transfer policy for this month. They were always going to be uh, looking at the loan market to see if they could improve the squad as well. Um, obviously, Sean Dyche, I believe, is looking a couple of wingers if he can find them, but finding players on loan is difficult. So um, Everton might have to stick to what they got. The problem for Everton is right now, due to these uh, FFP and PSR rules, they could lose some of their top players. And that's the real concern for Everton fans. You've got the likes of Jared Brantwit, who's had a really good season for Everton, supposedly attracting interest from the likes of Real Madrid, Manchester United. For Everton, if they were to sell him for a huge fee, it's going to be massive profit for him because he is a homegrown player. Uh, Obviously, they signed him from Carlisle a few years ago and have developed him into the player that he is right now as well. So for Everton, if these FFP rules continue... They're going to have to sell to sort of help the squad elsewhere and allow Sean Dyche maybe to to make moves elsewhere. So the likes of Brantwit, Amadou Onana as well, the the Belgian midfielder who's been linked with Arsenal, talk of a £60 million price tag on his head. He's another player that Everton might have to sacrifice. So it's difficult for Sean Dyche. He, He just wants to concentrate on what he can do on the training pitch and then look to see if he can improve the squad, but with no money available, He's uh, going to have his work cut out. And Kevin Fellwell as well, also the director of football at Everton, he's got his hands tied, really, uh, with everything that's going on with this potential takeover, with 7-7 partners dragging on as well. It's it's a real uncertain time for Everton, and I don't expect much movement of players coming in at Goodison Park this January. Well, for Forrest, Nuno says it's business as usual, they will be looking to strengthen the squad. But I think for Forrest, it's, it's a case of getting players out right now before they can bring players in. And they've also got the... Extra sort of equation of dealing with uh, players away at the AFCON as well. Right now, six players away, so they'll be hoping that those players return soon and that'll bolster the squad as well. But yeah, don't expect both of those clubs to be spending much money in uh, January considering these recent uh, breaches.
0: And now we're going to hear from former Everton and Aston Villa chief executive Keith Wyness to get his thoughts. What was your immediate reaction and concerns? I think
3: the immediate reaction was that the premier league are tying themselves up in knots and the whole double jeopardy issue is something that i think is quite important and it's just becoming a complex mess that need not have happened and there have been other ways to have got around this so that was my initial reaction was what the bloody hell are they up to
0: And is it, so you mentioned about, about double jeopardy, of course, that is a that's I'm sure a case that Everton are going to raise. Is it fair though, that now Everton not only are, are facing one breach, they're going on to face another when the first hasn't been concluded. What's your thoughts about that? Should it be taken one case at a time? Because of course, as they've announced, they're not going to do it at the same time. How, what are your thoughts on that generally?
3: Well, there's a very important point, I think, about this that that did raise itself in yesterday's select committee hearing as well with Richard Masters. And yes, of course, on the Everton issue, I do believe the first case should have been resolved before any second case could have been uh, issued. But more importantly, this brings up to me the fact that the Man City case itself should have been resolved first before any other clubs and cases should have been heard. The reason I think that is because We're now seeing so clearly that any points deductions or anything of that scale impact the table and the integrity of the Premier League. And you can't have cases like Man City still outstanding when other things are happening. So it should be taken case by case in the order in which they're charged and everything should wait until each one is resolved in turn. And that, to me, is the most sensible way to do it. Now, if they've got a big problem with Man City, which they obviously have, then so what? They've got to wait. And, you know, that's the problem they're facing themselves. So I think things should be done in
0: order. And I think that's a a pretty important point. And what were your thoughts when Richard Masters says that there is a date set for Manchester City, but they can't say what it is publicly? What are your thoughts about that?
3: Well, also Richard Masters just before that had said that they're very transparent. Well, obviously they're not (laughs) transparent. And that's, you know, absolutely ridiculous. Now, the other thing that I'm really angry about in the Premier League just now is that the chairman, who is um, Alison Britton. Uh, very few people have heard of Alison Britton, but she is actually the chairman of the Premier League. Maybe she's the Paula vanells of the Premier League because we haven't heard one word from her. And this is a very important case about Everton, who are founder of the Premier League, one of the major clubs in, in the league. The first time ever the Premier League's done a 10-point deduction. And here they are, the chairman's not even getting involved. Now, is it because she doesn't understand the detail about this? Why wasn't she on the uh, select committee yesterday? Rick Perry, who's the chairman of the EFL, was. So why wasn't the chairman of the Premier League? Is it because she doesn't really understand it? Is it because she hasn't got a view on this? We have to hear from the chairman. This is a very serious thing. And uh, without hearing from her, then she, she's useless as far as I'm concerned. We are. What's her role as a chairman if she's not getting involved in an issue this big?
0: I mean, the other thing, talking of that, Keith, that Masters raised was uh, in terms of Chelsea, of course, uh, we won't announce the outcome of, of anything until the investigation has been completed. What do you make of that, not only with Man City and, and sort of the, you know, the points that you've raised, but in terms of Chelsea, when there's obviously quite a lot that they're investigating, but they're not willing to go public. And yet with both Everton and Forest, they've been very honest and open with what's going on. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, my thoughts are overall how... I don't think Masters is up for this job because he's leading the the Premier League down rabbit holes that are overly detailed and are, you know, a, a massive amount of detail involved. We understand that and it does take time, but therefore everything else should be put behind it. In the time when I was on the Premier League board, Richard Scudamore led the league. And I can assure you, we'd have found ways to have got around this without the mess we're now involved in. And I think this goes to Master's experience, and I'm afraid to say, I'd have to call for his resignation right now because I think the handling of this is absolutely, uh, is, is leading the league and the Premier League, which is a, a great product throughout the world, you know, glorified throughout the world. It's becoming a, a laughing stock. And I'm afraid that his interpretation of the rules and the way it's being handled politically uh, is, is very wrong. And it should have been handled at the top, behind
0: the scenes in a better way than this. And going forwards, Keith, of course, when we last spoke about Everton, we assumed that there might be some points given back after the points, of course, that were deducted. What do you see the outcome of this breach being? Because, of course, it looks like it actually might happen and might conclude post-Premier League season ending. Well, that's,
3: i say, the worrying thing here on, on that issue is that not only is it a points deduction, what that means is that players who are thinking about, should I renew my contract or different things, will then decide about possibly going to other clubs and we may lose players now was that the intended you know, consequence of a points deduction or something about a breach of financial fair play to punish a club not only with points but to lose players to look, to disrupt their squad uh it's going way beyond it's it's becoming draconian in the uh, the effect it's having and again that's because it's not been thought through properly by
0: the authorities. And I wonder I wonder going forwards what that will look like, but I'm going to come to that in just a minute because I'm intrigued to get your overall summation. If we look at Everton's league position, as we discussed previously when we spoke, so please go and do listen to that podcast episode if you have missed it. At that point, of course, Everton were in the relegation zone. They've now climbed out there one point um, above the drop zone. What's the general feeling among Everton fans, Keith? Are fans confident that Everton are going to stay up regardless of, of this potential points deduction that may happen as well? What's the feeling now that this has come into play?
3: Well, I think the feeling is still very positive that, yes, Sean Dyche has got the squad playing well. Uh, I saw one group today saying, OK, if we got a 10-point deduction, which we already have, and then we got another one, we'd still stay up. <laughs> um, you know, there's a, there's a battling feeling that certainly amongst the fans. And I think there's just an amazement still that, something that is relatively minor in terms of the scale of finances, although Everton have admitted they've done done wrong, has ended in such a draconian penalty.
0: And that's the issue that I think we're, uh, we're having to face. Could all of these alleged charges, Keith, actually damage the reputation of the Premier League? You've now mentioned, you mentioned earlier, you called it a laughing stock. Could this long term have a really, really negative impact on the league's reputation? It
3: really does have a big impact. Now, I mean, you know yourself that... Uh, things like stock exchanges around the world. the reputation is based on the regulation, and the you know, based on how well they, they actually are regulated. And that's how the financial market in Britain has done so well. The Premier League is exactly the same. And I think we've been looked at. And you know, leagues like La Liga are laughing just now. Uh, many, many new areas will, of, of growth and development who will be challenging the Premier League will see this as a weakness and a chance to go forward. And again, I will say it happened on the chairman, Alison Britton, and Richard Masters watch, and they must be held accountable.
0: If this process does end after the Premier League season, do you think they're going to have to relook at this and structure it differently? Because, of course, one of the arguments has been actually that you know the these and um, the way that they're dealing with some of the the sanctions has come into play. It's a it's a new thing that they're they're imposing. Whereas actually, how this is being handled seems to be really, I mean, really badly criticised by the fans.
3: Well, already Masters said yesterday again at the select committee that they're moving towards the UEFA method of financial fair play, which means they're already admitting that what they have at present is not fit for purpose. So, again, you know, it's it's just weird uh, how this is, is happening. And I say it, 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 be, it beggars belief. And so to admit that you're pur- that the rules that you're using right now are not really fit for purpose, yet you're using them to penalise clubs in such a way, there's got to be a better way around this and that there should have been some way to have to have handled this better.
0: I mean, one thing that's been brought up, Keith, which is totally relevant, is of course there's been reignited calls now for an independent regulator in English football. Is that a viable solution to address concerns about FFP and overall governance of clubs? Well, the the, the Premier League have always been against that independent regulator,
3: but they're, make, they're making the case stronger than anybody else why we need to have one. Because they have proven that they cannot regulate the Premier League properly so therefore I think the independent regulators case has been strengthened and it's their own fault and uh,
0: I think one's going to come in and this is a big reason why. And if you were still at Everton at this present moment what would you be saying number one but also how confident would you be about this season and sort of the foreseeable future for the club? Look it's, it's a state of flux
3: at the moment it's a very difficult position you're having to react day by day, hour by hour in certain cases. So it's very hard to look forward much further than, uh, you know, a couple of days at a time.
0: And what can fans look forward to? Aside everything going on on the pitch, of course, we've seen some issues with VAR, including Dominic Calvert-Lewin getting sent off quite controversially. Apart from the stadium, are there any other things that fans can really look at and go, this looks fantastic for us? Look, having
3: probably the best stadium in the whole of football um, is going to be something to look forward to. Uh And certainly the way that Sean Dyche has got the squad playing is also something that Everton fans are happy about. So at the end of the day, we're a football club. We have to play good football. We have to fight like Everton do. And then to have it in this great stadium, then the future can look rosy again once we get through this period of turbulence. And it is turbulence. And unfortunately, we got the wrong captain at the controls.
0: And are you imagining that it's going to be a 10-point deduction? What is this sanction going to be if it does come to fruition? Uh,
3: The talk has been about it being six points. but look again if the appeal is successful then i don't think there'll be any points at all both sanctions could be lifted uh, which i'm i'm still hopeful for and if that's the case then it'll have meant that everton may again have a big problem with spending because they've spent so much on on kcs and, and lawyers uh, which would be a ridiculous expenditure that we could uh could have to, had to have and uh, you know, maybe there's a case for making the Premier League pay for this, and make them you know stop and think twice about handing out such
0: ridiculous sanctions. Okay, Pete, we're now going to move up to the northeast and talk about Newcastle. Of course, this season there's been some links with Jose Mourinho potentially for the Newcastle job. He's just been sacked by AS Roma. Are there any updates, please, about his links with the club?
1: Yeah, obviously Jose Mourinho is out of work, so he is going to be an attractive option for a lot of clubs-looking managers. Um, Obviously, since Eddie Howe has gone into Newcastle, it's always been a nagging doubt in people's head. Would they go for a bigger name in the future to sort of fulfil their ambitions they've got under PIF that they want to go and uh, bring in a top-class manager who's won honours? And obviously Jose Mourinho ticks a lot of those boxes. For me, I don't think it would be the right move. I think... Jose Mourinho in his latter years, he has regressed a bit. We've seen that what's happened at Roma, although he did win a, a conference league title. Roma are well down the pecking order in Serie A. And I think if Jose Mourinho is to lead, uh, find a new club, I think the Saudi Pro League is probably perfect for him right now. He's going to be very attractive for them. He's got a huge following globally as well, and he will definitely enhance the Saudi Pro League if he is to end up going there. And, and there is a couple of clubs in the Saudi Pro League who are looking for new managers. So I think opportunities will come for Jose Mourinho in the Saudi Pro League. And he's he's never hidden his uh, desire maybe to go out there I and mean, manage. He said he's turned down offers already from some clubs. So I think the next step for Jose Mourinho following his departure from Roma is a move to the Saudi Pro League and not to Newcastle. I think Newcastle, they've got to keep faith with Eddie Howe. He's done a remarkable job. He's probably uh, got them ahead of expectations where they're expected to be when uh, the, the Saudi PIF fund took over the club, it got them into the Champions League. It's been a difficult season so far this season, but I think that's a lot down to injuries. He's lost a number of key players for a long period of time. And as we were talking about FFP and everything else, Newcastle haven't been able to, buy the way, out of trouble this season due to uh, having to deal with uh, the finances at the club that they can't really go out and spend of what the owners have got because there's no doubts the owners are willing to spend. They just can't do it because they don't want to be hit by uh, charges of FFP.
0: And Paul, as sort of Pete very nicely wrapped up for us there, of course, they've had some real in, real injury problems. Joe Linton most recently is now out for the whole season. How do they recover from here? 10th in the table, 11 points off top four. As, as Pete rightly said, they've certainly improved on where they were last year. They've come leaps and bounds. But of course, this season's been a bit of a stumbling block and you can't really blame them. The injuries have been a massive problem. But where do they go from here for the second half of the season? Well, that's
2: what they've got to do. They've got to take it as the second half of the season. He's been hugely hit by injuries. The Tenale situation as well. I mean, we forget about that, that the player that they spent 50, 55 million on, um, he, he saw that as a real key component to his side this year and he's been deprived of him all season um, and he is for the rest of the season. I mean, that's that's another subject totally. I mean, AC Milan don't sell players, they don't sell the captain, but that they, they sold Tanali at the start of the season. So somebody, knew, I suspect, knew something somewhere. But for, for Eddie Howe's point of view, they need to get some players through the door to help him get through the end, the end of the season. Uh, they're looking at European place. But I think, as as I always say, with success comes expectation. And the, the success that they had last year has sent the expectation levels at Newcastle through the roof. And understandably so. I mean, yes, let's be honest, they overachieved last year with what they had. The squad of players they had, the, the manager, what he did with those players last year, they overachieved. And getting in the Champions League this year, and it was all just a little bit too much for them to cope with. That group, potentially, if there was a penalty in Paris, they they, they they would have got out of that group, potentially. But would that have hampered them with the more fixtures going forward in the second half of, of the season? They're in a really difficult run of games. I'm looking at the form. I mean, they had a fantastic win at Sunderland, which will obviously boost confidence. But in my opinion, I thought they played really well against Manchester City. The, the, the 11 that he put out, they were unfortunate not to get something from the best team in the world. Previous to that, the four defeats on the bounce, obviously going to be disappointing for him. But for me, Eddie Howe's got a lot of credit in the bank. And I think he has with Newcastle supporters. I think the togetherness between him and the supporters, they understand what he's done there. I mean, the the Newcastle supporters are very, very knowledgeable supporters and they understand. They can see what he's had to deal with. They can see what he's done, where he's taken that football club. And he's earned the right to, to have a little bump in the road, if you like, to have this quiet time. You know, you can give managers millions and millions, but the greatest gift you can give any manager, sorry, the greatest gift you can give any good manager is time. Because if you've got a good manager with good players who's a good coach, time, he can work with the players that he's got. Eddie Howe deserves the time to do that. For me, Jose Mourinho, he's, hes box office, he's absolutely brilliant. I think he's fantastic. I think he's great for the Premier League, but I wouldn't want him at my club. I mean, he's been at my club, he's been at Tottenham. He's a serial winner and Tottenham's the only club that he, ha- he hasn't won anything with. He's, he doesn't stay anywhere for longer than three years. From a Newcastle fan's point of view, I think you'd do very, very well to find one or 2% of Newcastle fans who would swap Eddie Howe for Jose Mourinho, because I certainly wouldn't.
0: Well, that is a that is a big call, actually. I I, I do rate it. I think you're right. I think lots of, we've seen, even in the Sunderland game, in defeats over previous weeks, that the fans are absolutely behind anyhow. And there's, there's no doubt about that. But I think there is some talk, of course, of where the owners are at versus the fans. And that's what you said earlier, Paul. You know, it, the game is the fans. So we'll just have to see how that sort of rolls out. But Pete, you mentioned in there too about the fact that there might not be many signings in the door at St. James's Park. Joe Linton's injured. They've really struggled across the field with injuries. Is there any up? State regarding their window, are they eyeing up at any players? Are there any talks of any players they might be signing? Yeah, they are
1: looking. Um, midfield is the priority area that Newcastle have targeted since the opening of the January transfer window. Calvin Phillips has been the name that's been on most people's lips as he would be the ideal fit to go into that Newcastle midfield. Um, Obviously, he's not playing at Manchester City and uh, the player himself wants to move uh, to get regular first team football uh, ahead of the Euros this summer with England. So he would tick a lot of boxes for Newcastle right now, but there is a sort of sticking points in his potential move. Manchester City are looking at a big loan fee of around £7 million. Uh, Newcastle's are not able to pay that right now due to the FFP regulations are right on the fringes. So that's uh, sort of holding up the pursuit of Calvin Phillips. They've also looked at the Atalanta midfielder, Ederson, uh, a Brazilian midfielder, who's uh, had a very good season in Serie A, uh, very highly rated as well, but Atalanta have no plans to sell him in January and uh, it's not a deal I don't think Newcastle could afford. This month either he's probably going to cost in excess of thirty to £40 million. Pounds, so that's a deal they might have to look at next summer and um, again we mentioned it earlier in the show Newcastle probably the concern for them is when Darren eels I think uh, came out last week and admitted they might have to sell one of their prize assets just to help them along uh, next season to, to meet FFP regulations so lots of uh, concern that maybe Bruno Gomerish could be sacrificed or an Alex Isak as well so there's a lot of clubs now looking maybe to see if they could uh, snare some of those top players from Newcastle so I'm sure there will be interest in Bruno Guimaraes this summer as well and that would come as a huge blow to Newcastle if they were to lose him but I think for Eddie Howe right now he just needs numbers in the building he's he's down to to two fit midfielders right now and one of them is a 17 year old in Lewis Miley who's been really good for them since he's been uh, put into the side as well but for Eddie Howe, he wants to the season on a high, try and get into those European places if he, if he can and uh, he definitely needs help in the transfer market to do that but their hands are a bit tied at the minute due to FFP restrictions.
0: I think my highlight of this window is when Fabrizio Romano tweeted that Bruno Guimaraes is in Paris but he's not in Paris moving to PSG he's going shopping I thought that was a that was a really good update that I really enjoyed and many other fans did as well Paul looking at Newcastle now for the second half of the season they take on Fulham in the next round of the FA Cup what should a how could you define a successful season for them this year is it a top six finish is it progressing say to the semi-final the final of the FA Cup what would Eddie Howe deem a success given their position at the moment
2: well listen a trophy would be huge wouldn't it we all know the, the, the need and the want for a trophy at Newcastle and that would be fantastic for them and I think they've got the opportunity to focus on that with you know the, uh, the European attention has gone elsewhere I still struggle I mean I know we're going off topic a little bit but I still don't understand managers of certain Premier League teams who aren't going to win the Premier League they're not going to win the Champions League why do they change their team make so many changes in the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup you know, what opportunity for, for fans to have silverware. You, you remember silverware as a fan for the rest of your life. They don't come around often unless you support one of the big clubs who dominate for a long period of time. The majority of football teams and football supporters don't get to see their team win a trophy. And the opportunity for the likes of uh, Tottenham, uh, Newcastle, uh, West Ham, those type, I mean, look what the, the European trophy meant to those West Ham fans. It was incredible. So for Newcastle to win a trophy would be huge success. The FA Cup would be would be a fantastic opportunity for them. To progress in the league this year, I don't think they can on what they did last year. I don't think they can finish in the top four, but from where they are and what they've got left to do, they may surprise us. So if you, you split the season into a second half of the season, a potential FA Cup and a European place would be progression from where they are at the moment.
0: Pete, how do you see it? Do you see it in the same way as Paul? Do you think they need to Do you think they need to win a trophy or do you think actually leeway, leeway will be given to Eddie Howe?
1: Yeah, I think um, he's got credit in the bank, Eddie Howe, from, from what he did last season at Newcastle, getting into the Champions League and obviously unlucky to go out of the group stages. Newcastle fans have been crying out for success for years now, even under the, the glory days of Kevin Keegan. They didn't win a trophy. Um, and Newcastle fans, we know they won success. We saw how much they enjoyed their trip to Wembley last year in the Carabao Cup final, when they, which they lost to Manchester United. If Eddie Howe was to go and win the FA Cup with Newcastle. He's going down in folklore as uh, the man who brought back uh, trophies to Newcastle, and that's what fans want, like Paul says. It's all well and good, uh, qualifying for the Champions League, uh, earning money for the for the club and everything, and making European adventures, but winning trophies is what it's all about. Newcastle fans have been starved of success in recent times as well, so to win in the FA Cup would go down in history for them if they could go and do it. And I think now it looks like they're out of this top-four race, I think Newcastle have to give full focus to the FA Cup because, under the Mike Ashley years, it looked like they just wrote off the cups. They weren't really bothered. It was about just staying in the Premier League. Obviously, things have taken a dramatic turnaround at Newcastle. They're a lot more ambitious under the Saudi owners. And I think for Eddie Howe, he just wants to get some of those uh, injured players back as soon as he can. And I think there's not many teams who would fancy facing Newcastle, especially at St. James's Park, uh, in the next round of the FA Cup. If they are, they can pass Fulham as well. And In this FA Cup, we're going to see a lot of teams go out in the next round. We've got Tottenham v Man City coming up. We've also got Chelsea against Aston Villa. So there's a couple of Premier League teams who will go out at this stage as well. And that could really open up the path for a Newcastle or somebody else to go all the way in the competition.
0: Absolutely. And if we move on to Tottenham, we go from the northeast down to London. Pete, in terms of their... In terms of their January transfer window, how many outgoings has the club seen so far? Because it seems to be that every other day there is more news coming out of Tottenham.
1: Yeah, they've been the busiest club uh, by far in this January transfer window. A couple of signings in with Dragosun and Timo Werner. It's crazy when you think about it that Dragosun still... uh, the only deal in the Premier League which is that uh, money has changed hands really uh, for that £25 million deal to Genoa but yeah players have gone out we've had Hugo Lloris go to the MLS um, we've had Eric Tar with that move to Bayern Munich um, also we've had Jed Spence go out and along to Genoa Sergio reggion has gone on loan to Brentford and we've had a couple of younger ones like Ashley Phillips and Alfie Devine go to Plymouth just to get first team football and uh, it looks like Japheth Tanganga is the latest player who's going out and alone uh, to Millwall so He's trying to clear the decks, uh, Ayns Postecoglou, for players who aren't going to be playing and in his plans long term as well. And I think there'll be others who maybe make that uh, move out before the end of the window. I know there's been a story on Football Insider that uh, Ryan Sessegnon uh, and Brian Hill could also both depart uh, before the close of the window as well. Probably Brian Hill could be a permanent deal. There is interest from Spanish clubs in him, while well, I think Sessegnon, who's only played a few minutes this season, I think in that FA Cup tie against Burnley, Due to injuries, he could probably he could possibly be loaned out, and I'm sure there'll be a number of clubs interested in him as well.
0: And, Paul, do you think this is a move from the club after we discussed all of FFP? Is this related to that at all, or do you think this is simply that it's a rejuvenation of the squad that they're going to bring new bodies through the door?
2: Well, listen, there's no point in keeping players if you're not going to use them. And if you can get, get players out the door, there's no point in hoarding a dressing room full of players that are on a, on a wage bill that are a of a salary if the manager's got no intention of using them or playing them or integrating them into his squad. The new manager there, there is going to be a turnover. There needed to be a a huge change. Harry Kane going, the new manager coming. It was always going to be a transition period. I mean, yes, Andrew's hit the ground running, but there's still a lot of work to be done there. You know, there's there's a reason that they they haven't won anything for a long time. And he's come in, they've, they've completely overhauled the style of football, completely overhauled the way they play. There's certain players that don't fit into his thinking. Brian Hill, for me, he's too lightweight for the Premier League. He's not good enough for the Premier League. He will move on. Eric Dyer didn't fit into his system. He didn't want him to play. He's gone. Regulon, exactly the same. If your face doesn't fit, the manager doesn't want that type of player. There's no point in keeping players for the sake of it. The younger players I get, loan them out, give them some experience. But give this manager, he's earned the right to go to Daniel Levy and go, I need this, this and this, and I'm going to clear out that. And he's he's, he's earned the right to have carte blanche, in all honesty, to do what he wants with that playing squad because of the style of football, the results he's got and where he's put that football club in a short space of time. I mean, why wouldn't you let him do it?
0: Yeah, and credit, I think, must be given to him as well because, you know, when you look at squads generally, this doesn't normally happen in terms of the January transfer window that we see so many outgoings. I know quite a few have been on loan and, as we've mentioned, quite a few are youngsters. But regardless, it, it's a real rejuvenation of the squad. So on the flip side, Pete, are we expecting any, any new deals or faces through the door at Tottenham?
1: Yeah, I think Ange Postacoglu would still love to bring in at least one more new signing if he can. Um, he's obviously been backed by Daniel Levy with the Dragosun and Timo Werner signings. Central midfield is still an area of the squad that he wants to improve in. Conor Gallagher's the one that everybody keeps talking about. Um, Tottenham had interest in the England international in the summer, but were unable to get a deal over the line. Again, Gallagher's future is up in the air at Chelsea. talked that Chelsea could uh, be willing to sacrifice him uh, and sell him for a pr- huge profit, obviously being a homegrown player, and that would help them and their FFP restrictions as well. And I think Conor Gallagher would be an ideal type of signing for Hans Postokoglu. He's... Uh, aggressive player, he's on the front foot as well and uh, he can play in a couple of positions in midfield as well, he could play as the holding midfielder or more as a number eight as well, getting forward as well, so top player Conor Gallagher, I'd be shocked if Chelsea were to sell him in this window, he's become a key man in yes, Richie Potters do
2: team You know that, them two clubs don't <laughs> yeah. do business they don't like each other, they're not going to help yeah. one another
1: are they? Definitely not. That's why I think Chelsea would be demanding a huge fee for Conor Gallagher. And I think the last deal they did between each other was Carlo Curicini and was that in 2009 or something like that. So that shows there's definitely not a lot of, a lot of love lost between uh, Tottenham and Chelsea. So that makes that deal very unlikely as well. I think Tottenham, they'll be keeping tabs on the Calvin Phillips situation as well to see if his loan uh, Fee comes down and I think he again could be another one who could be interested in a move to Tottenham uh, for the second half of the season just to get regular first team football ahead of the Euros as well. So they're probably the two names that uh, Tottenham are looking at right now, but two complex and difficult deals to do as well.
0: Hmm. Paul, if you were, again, if we if we remove all the hypotheticals about the fact that it's obviously going to be quite complicated, who would you rather? I mean, short term, I think Phillips probably works better in terms of the length of the deal, the agreement. But going forwards, do you think Conor Gallagher, would he suit Andrew's style of play? Yeah, absolutely. Would you know, would you
2: look at the, the way that he plays? He's combative, he's all energy, he's always good for a yellow card every week. And that's just <laughs> the way he plays, he plays on the front foot. And, and that's him and, and that type of player. And I think that's why I brought Timo Werner in. I mean, he's not going to score 20, 25 goals a season. He's not going to set the, the Premier League alight by scoring goals. But his work rate, his attitude, his application off the ball, the way that Ange plays, Conor Gallagher would fit into that absolutely. And do you know what? But let's be let's be really optimistic. If Spurs want to progress, they want to move forward, want to back the manager, get both of them. They're two very different players. Calvin sits and he holds a similar type of way that Benton Cor does. does. Conor, Conor Gallagher would play... Probably more advanced than Angie's system, or they can play as the holding one. But if Spurs are going places and they want to move on and progress to the next level, you know, aim for the stars. Go for both of them.
0: Wow, that's that's a really big call, actually. I think that would work. You know, I think that that double pivot, and of course, they've got the likes of Saab, Besuma, you know, Bentancour, as you mentioned. Madison's coming back at some point, and I think that's worth mentioning. Paul, in here, of course, Spurs aren't now playing as as Pete uh, previously spoke about the fact that they're not playing Manchester City until next week. Do you think now, actually, the Spurs squad generally need a bit of a break? Because it looks like Madison potentially and Kulusevski could be coming back for that game.
2: Well, we're, we're, we're in the middle of the weirdest winter break ever, aren't we? I mean, it's it's the strangest winter break that I've ever seen. Two games on a Saturday, two on a Sunday. Oh, but if you've got an FA Cup replay, you can't have a break. I mean, West Ham, <laughs> and West Ham fans, there's no break for them, is there? Um, yeah, I mean the, the winter break, you can you can understand how it's been put in, but I don't think we'll be seeing it in this form ever again because it
0: just hasn't worked, does has it? No, and it is it does feel quite strange too. I think the other time normally with going, you know, through December, is that fans don't always keep up with the fixtures because there are so many, but it, this feels even stranger because there are no fixtures to look forward to. So when you ask someone when are you next playing, no one really knows. People get confused. Is it this weekend? Is it next weekend? I certainly have struggled at times to to keep up. Pete, other than that, are there any other news? So we've mentioned Conor Gallagher. Are there any other midfielders that they've potentially been speaking about that they might be looking to bring in?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Tottenham, along with Newcastle, they've been looking at Edison at Atalanta as well. He's a name that's on their radar. Again, a difficult deal to do in this January transfer window, but I think come next summer, they will be rivaling Newcastle for his signature as well. And a lot will depend for Tottenham uh, for next summer is where they're going to be. Are they going to be in the Champions League? Because that'll obviously boost... Their transfer kitty and uh, allow them to maybe go out and sign even bigger names as well. But I think for me, a quick question for Paul is: Would you let uh, Pierre Emil Hoiberg go in this window if uh, the right offer did come in? Because I think I thought he played really well against Manchester United last week. So, but if Spurs are going to bring players in; they're going to have to let players go as well.
2: Yeah, listen, I like him uh, when he plays, but he's he's very pragmatic. He's defensive. I mean, we we talk about Anjan, being unwilling to change the way that he plays, but he does it sneakily. He puts Pierre Hoiberg on. I mean, you, you look at the Manchester City game. First half, they were ripped open. They could have been three or four down at half-time. He brought Pierre-Emil Hoiberg on in the second half, and that was his pragmatic... That was Hand being defensive, and I think he does that. He does a really good job at doing that. He doesn't want him to start. He doesn't start in many games, but he's a fantastic option to have in the squad. But from the player's point of view, I think if he wants to play week in and week out, it's not going to be at Tottenham. He's going to have to look elsewhere. From a complete selfish point of view, unless you bring somebody else into the squad, I'd be trying to keep hold of him and keep him into the squad and use him as and when needed, like he has done. But you can't keep a player that doesn't want to stay. The only reason, I would let him go, because of the manager's views, if you can bring somebody else into the squad. Yeah. But unless you can do that, I would, I'd be tempted to keep him.
0: We've discussed valuation, Pete. What sort of valuation do you think Heubjerg would command in, in potentially this window or the next?
1: Yeah, I think for this window, for somebody like Heubjerg's experience, uh, at Danish International, you're probably looking at 20 to 25 million, I think, uh, for him. Obviously, the player himself almost left uh, in the summer transfer window. There was interest from several clubs as well. Fulham made a late move from as well to try and replace Paulini when they thought he was leaving, but then the move fell down as well. A lot depends on Pierre emile Hoiberg. Will he want to? He might force a move in this window, especially if Spurs do bring in another midfielder before the close of the window. There's been talk of Napoli being interested in him as well. So I think for Hoiberg, I think £25 million is probably the going rate for a midfielder like him right now as well, but Spurs won't do anything until they bring in a midfielder because obviously they've got Besuma and uh, <coughs> Matil Swar away at AFCON right now as well, so they won't want to leave, won't want to leave themselves short in the Ange Postacoglu, although he might not trust pure uh, Emil Hoiberg right now to start games. He's still having an effect, I think, when he comes on and he definitely needs him around the building right now until a potential new midfielder arrives.
0: And if we move from North London over to East London, Paul, of course, West Ham were knocked out of the FA Cup by Bristol City. What did you make of that result, and how do you think that could potentially affect David Moyes' future?
2: Uh, listen, I don't think that one result is going to affect David Moyes' future. I think there's there's a, enough talk. I mean, we've talked so often on on the pod um, about West Ham, and there's it's, it's a real division, isn't there? There's a real division. There's the the camp who are realistic and look where. West Ham were when David Moyes took over, came back to the club, kept them in the Premier League. He's built them in the Premier League. They are sixth in the Premier League, right? This is West Ham. On the budget they've got, they're sixth in the Premier League. You, you, you have a ceiling, OK? West Ham are at their ceiling, in my opinion. I know we talk about the football and all. I, I listen to um, the radio, I listen to TalkSport today in the car, and the West Ham fans were, were phoning about Mourinho So, oh yeah, we'd have Mourinho. But look at the style of football Mourinho plays, and then you're like you're moaning about the way that David Moyes plays, and you want a change, you want that. But yet you take Mourinho. I mean, football's moved on. Jose's football hasn't moved on. You know, he's he's not won a league for a number of years. He's won a trophy, but David Moyes has just given you a European trophy. So I mean, it's it's, it's a whole thing with a West Ham thing for me. Just be careful what you wish for. I understand the new manager. If you go in a new direction, you want to play a certain way. You you want to be a little bit more attacking minded with the players that they've got. But the squad, for me, is the best it's been in a number of years. It's better than it was when Declan Rice was there. They've improved. They've bought some fantastic players. Kudus. I mean, look at Bowen this year. Look at the way that he's playing. I mean, I think he's two goals behind Haaland this year, is, is Jared Bowen, which is incredible. So, from a West Ham point of view, I don't think that one result is going to affect David Moyes' future. I The longer it goes, I fear for him. I, I like David Moyes. I think he's a fantastic manager in what he's done. I fear for him the longer it goes without getting word that he's in negotiations or... There's a new contract on on the plate for him, but actually, when you take his whole West Ham tenure into and you look at it, they were going to be in the in the bottom three. They're a top six Premier League side. They're competing in European football again after winning a European trophy,
0: sat in a European European place in the Premier League. I mean, what more do you want the man to do? Pete, do you anticipate him to be offered a new contract fairly soon? Because I think most Hammers fans are quite surprised, actually, that there has been no news at all, not even leaks. There was some talk at some point it might be a a two-and-a-half-year deal from from this January, but, of course, that hasn't been announced yet. What's your anticipation for him?
1: Yeah, I think David Moyes will be offered this new contract. Uh, West Ham, I think, like Paul says, be careful what you wish for, he's done in the. Unbelievable job there at the London Stadium to have West Ham where they are right now playing in Europe, competing in the top six in the Premier League as well. David Moyes, obviously he's out of contract uh, at the end of this season as well. Um, Talks are ongoing right now. David Moyes is quite relaxed I think on the whole situation as well. He knows if that deal was to be taken away that there'll be a number of clubs who would be willing to offer him a job elsewhere. But I think for West Ham right now, who else is better out there that could replace David Moyes who they could potentially lure to the London Stadium? I don't think there's many and I think He's got credit in the bank. He got that uh, Europa Conference League success last year. He's got them in the Europa League last 16 this season and up at the top end of the Premier League as well. So I expect talks to progress over this new contract probably in the next couple of weeks after we get the January transfer window out of the way. And I think uh, both parties will sit down. And I'm confident that a resolution will be made and David Moyes will end up signing a new deal at West Ham, uh, I think. It's the right move for both parties uh, for him to build on what he's doing at West Ham right now. Look at the squad. He's, he's used that money from the Declan Rice seal really well. Kudos. Pakata, the transfer window before, is a top-class player as well. Also like Edson Alvarez in midfield. So I think West Ham are really building something right now. And I think if they can add a couple of players in this January transfer window, I expect them to have a strong second half of the season as well.
0: They definitely have one of the most exciting attacks in the league. And I think midfields too, when they're all fit. But of course, they've they've been struck as well with some injuries. Jared Bowen has been a bit hit-a-miss. Of course, as we said, Kudus is injured. Paquetta's out for a long time. And that's certainly going to damage the season, maybe to an extent. But hopefully, if Bowen comes back soon, and when Kudus comes back, um, they can start to turn things around. But Pete, I wanted to draw back there to their January transfer window. It sounded like Moyes is aiming to do some more business, potentially, in this window. Are there any names or positions that have been identified or targeted?
1: Yeah, obviously, David Moyes is looking to add to his squad. Um, left wing is one position he would like to add in, and also a striker has been a, a target since the summer transfer window as well. Stephen Bergwine, the ex Spurs man, has been mentioned. Uh, he's now at Ajax, um, but I don't think David Moyes is that overly keen in uh, bringing Bergwine in. Uh, a lot will depend what happens with side Ben Rama, who didn't cover himself in glory in midweek with that sending off against Bristol City, but I think West Ham would be willing to listen to office for him. Potentially also maybe listen to offers for Maxwell Corne, who played in that Bristol City FA Cup replay as well. But David Moyes, striker is the key priority. They need to bring someone in to help ease the burden on Jared Bowen, who recovering from injury right now. But he's the one that's been scoring all the goals. For the hammers, so they're looking at Armando Brogia at Chelsea. He's a long term target, but again, he's going to be very expensive if Chelsea are to sell. I saw some reports suggesting it would take up to 50 million pounds to sign him, which I think is unbelievable in the current market uh, right now for a player like Brogia. And also, they do like Serhud Garassi from Stuttgart, who has had an unbelievable season in the Bundesliga this year. He's the player that's uh, on the West Ham list for that striking uh, number nine shirt. And uh, again, he has this release clause of just over £17 million as well. So a lot of competition for his signature as well. But I do expect West Ham to bring in at least a couple of players before the close of the window.
0: Paul, of course, you have experience. You can tell us. What would Stephen Bergvine bring to the London Stadium? Would it be a positive signing for West Ham fans? What do you make of that deal potentially?
2: I was excited when he came to Spurs. And then when he scored that volley in his debut against Manchester City, I thought, oh, we've got one here, a real player. Um, but I think to, to his detriment, he was able to play in too uh, too many positions. If that makes sense? With the way that Spurs played with the three behind the, the striker. He, did, he wasn't necessarily a, a, a pick, a first pick every week. He didn't play as a nine because Harry Kane played. If Harry Kane didn't play, it was between him and Sully's played as a nine. He played on the left, played on the right, and he never really got a, a run of games, never really got going. But his tenacity off the ball, he works so hard. um, What he brings to the team, if you're pressing high from the front, he's he's that type of player who who you'd want in your side. I don't think he got an opportunity with a run of games at Tottenham to to show properly what he could do. And the move never really worked for him. But from a personal point of view, I always thought there was a good player there. Hmm.
0: And we spoke earlier in terms of success, potentially, and you mentioned be careful what you wish for. What would a success be for West Ham now? As you said, sixth in the table, six points off top four. They're into the last 16 of the Europa League. What should Hammers fans be aiming for or hoping for this season now? Stability. More
2: of the same. I mean, you, you look at the top four, they're not going to break into the top four. Liverpool, City, um, Arsenal, title race. Villa are up there. Spurs. I mean, West Ham are sixth. They're above, you know, let's, let's we talk about teams. We talk about, you know, West Ham and we say about moaning about the, the way that they play. Let's talk about some teams who play good football in the Premier League. Newcastle, they're above Newcastle. Brighton, they're above Brighton. Man United at times, they're above Man United. Wolves play good football. Bournemouth, they're above all these teams. They're above Man United, they're above Chelsea, they're above Newcastle, sat sixth in the Premier League, competing in uh, European football at the same time. So for me, success for West Ham, yeah, obviously it's going to be a top four finish and that's going to be real success. But realistic success is stability. Another top six finish some more European football while going deep into another European tournament
0: for another year. What do you make of it, Pete? Do you agree with with Paul's points there?
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, finishing the top six will be a successful season for West Ham. It'll be more European football for next season. And again, I don't think there'll be many teams looking forward to playing them in the Europa League. They showed that last season, uh, last couple of seasons, actually, they got to the semi finals of the Europa League the previous season and then went on and won the Conference League last season as well. So they've got good, decent European pedigree uh, in recent seasons as well. So I think they could go and uh, give a right push. For that Europa League, uh, I think there'll be uh, contenders for that trophy as well. But yeah, getting these, they're going to miss pacatar I think he's a big miss with uh, his recent injury. He's been sort of the key man in that West Ham side, creating chances for Bowen and Kudos. So he'll be a big miss. But I think David Moyes, he always gets results. Uh, they do pick up some big wins. They went to Arsenal over Christmas and got, got a big win there as well. And I think there's no... Uh, reason to think that West Ham can't finish in the top six again uh, and
0: uh, get more European football and for me that is a successful season for the Hammers. That was absolutely brilliant. So much gossip and exclusive news across a range of subjects today. Thanks very much to Paul Robinson, Pete Rourke and Keith Wyness for their expert analysis and detail on all the stories covering so many clubs during this January transfer window. If you have enjoyed this podcast episode, please give it a share on social media wherever you can and any clips you see on YouTube, make sure to give us a like and a comment as well as subscribing to the channel. I'm Lewis Pierce, and we'll speak to you all on the next show here on the Inside Track.